if you don't learn from the past, you are doomed to repeat it. Media Day is Monday, guys. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is September 27th, 2019. My name is Philip Rossenreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. And of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, I will share my thoughts and my lessons from the 2019 playoff series against the Toronto Raptors as we begin to look ahead now, finally and fully and completely and realistically to the 2020 season. Media Day is, of course, Monday, the first day of practice on Tuesday. So the NBA season is finally and mercifully here. Our long national nightmare is over. We'll talk a little bit about the the playoff series, what I learned from from each game, because NBA TV aired all five games, or at least the hour condensed version of them, on Wednesday. So we'll talk about that coming up here on today's show. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching on iTunes for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you would find here on Locked On Magic from a local expert who knows their team best. No matter what team you're looking for, the Magic, for instance, play the Spurs in about a week. Yeah, we're, we're really close to actual basketball games, too. You can check out Locked On Spurs. Or if you're looking for the national perspective, Locked On NBA, as well as Locked On Fantasy Basketball, have you covered, as I know those fantasy basketball seasons are coming right around the corner. If the NBA is not your jam and you just happen to stumble in here, we also have NFL, MLB, and college podcasts too. Find your team today by, search, by searching for Locked On and the team you're looking for wherever you download podcasts or even on Spotify. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. Steve Clifford is a big believer in film. He believes that you can learn a lot and, and certainly show players their, their flaws and, and what they need to improve on, what they need to work on through film. And, and it's impossible. Uh, and if you, if you read uh, Roy Perry of the Orlando Sentinel, had a really good article uh, the other day on Steve Clifford and his approach to watching film and using film as a tool to help his team get better. And that's really what... This is all about for, for Steve Clifford and for the Orlando Magic is, is to get better every single day. I do like to watch games over sometimes, and, and it is good to kind of catch things because when you anticipate what the result ultimately is, you, you do catch, you do start to watch for other things. You do start to, to watch for other things. But I, I, I decided on Wednesday to re-watch all five games, uh, at least, the, again, the hour compressed, compressed version to A, just re-familiarize myself with this team in, 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 a, in a different way, in a certain way. And then B, to get a better sense of what lessons there truly were to learn from that playoff series heading into this season. Undoubtedly, the, the 2020 season is about getting back to the playoffs. But beyond that, as many players have stated, as, as everyone believes... You can't get stuck in that first round. You've got to at least show that you can get out. And if the Magic play like they did in the playoffs last year, they will not be getting out of the first round. And so, a lot of the questions that I think we have about this team, we simply cannot answer 
until we get back to that playoff stage. And, and there's really no way to prepare for it. There's really no way to, to sense it. But if Orlando wants to put themselves in a better position to make the playoffs, there are key lessons they have to learn from that playoff series. Now, that playoff series is not everything. I think that it is a fallacy. I think that it is a bad decision or a bad idea to rest everything on those five games. And there are a lot of people who believe the Magic should not re-sign Nikola Vucevic because he struggled so much in those five games. Forgetting that he played 80 incredibly consistent games before that. In some respects, it was a bad matchup for him. Um, I thought Marc Gasol did a very good job on him, of course. I thought it was uh, the Raptors' defensive strategy. And and really, I think a lot of Vucevic's struggles had a lot, and I think this confirmed it, Vucevic was trying to kick out to other people. Uh, He was trying to get others involved. And he didn't shoot the ball great. But I think the fact that so many other players on the Magic also struggled, and maybe it was as a feedback loop, maybe it's because Ujic struggled that so many other players struggled, but because so many other players struggled, I think that's the bigger issue here with Vucevic. Again, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe if Vucevic had played better, the rest of the team would have been so bad. But I think the, the poor shooting from the outside, I think the Raptors' bet was... Let's compress the paint. Let's clog the lane. Let's crowd Vucevic, make him uncomfortable. And I think he was uncomfortable. So don't don't get me wrong. I don't think Vucevic was good, was good by any stretch of the imagination. And I think the Raptors' overall defensive strategy was be physical, clog the paint, crowd Vucevic, and dare the Magic shooters to beat them. And you know, as I went through the course of the series, that really played out. When the Magic were able to hit from the outside and had the, their, their brief spurts of good shooting, that's when the Magic looked really good in this series. Nikola Vucic had that nice run in the third quarter of Game 3. Um, you know, Terrence Ross had a run, I believe, in Game 4, as well as at the end of Game 3. Evan Fournier even had a nice spout of shooting at the beginning of Game 1. and the first half of Game 1, that helped the Magic get back into that game after Toronto took the early lead. And of course, D.J. Augustin hitting that three-pointer, that was everything. It should tell you something that the Magic shot, I think it was, what, 43% on three-pointers in game one. They were under 30% in every other game. Now, some of that maybe is the Magic were settling for three-point shots because they couldn't get into the paint consistently. But the bottom line is the Magic truly lived and died on their three-point shooting, and that's exactly what the Toronto Raptors wanted in that series. So undoubtedly, kind of the first big lesson you have to take from that series is the Magic have to be better shooting. Now, that's an easy thing to say because Orlando actually was okay as a three-point shooting team last year. They were 11th in the league in three-point field goal percentage. They were, I believe, 13th in the league in three-point field goal attempts. So this is not like some poor three-point shooting team. They're actually a better three-point shooting team, I believe, than the Houston Rockets. Most people would consider the Houston Rockets to have a lot of good shooters and to be a good three-point shooting team. And maybe the percentage is lower because of the volume of three-pointers they take. But the Magic are not as bad of a three-point shooting team as as it would be made out to believe. Now, a lot of people would probably consider the Magic's only real three-point shooters to be Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross. 
those are really the only two guys that I think defenses really have a gravity toward. And and I think that's one of the big problems the Magic have. It's not, it's, it's, with three-point shooting, and I, I believe this, and, and I don't have access to gravity num- to the gravity metrics, and, and I would imagine that, that it would bear this out. The Magic, to me, the biggest problem with three-point shooting for the Magic is not that they don't have decent three-point shooters, at least league-average three-point shooters. Evan Forney had a down year, but he's a guy that, that they respect. Terrence Ross is a good three-point shooter. I think Aaron Gordon... Is at 34%, which is slightly below league average. If 35% is about where you want to be, he's right there. Jonathan Isaac was shooting 36, 37% uh, on the way home from from uh, from the season. Uh, Wessel Wundu is a better three-point shooter, although I think he's still a little hesitant. You, you can see all these butts that I'm throwing in there. The problem for the Magic is not that they don't have guys that can hit three-point shots. It's that they don't have guys that defenses ultimately respect to hit three-point shots. When it comes to three-pointers, perception is better than reality. I truly believe that. I don't think that that's, you know, I, I think that's something that is very hard to quantify. And again, maybe there are metrics that do qualify this. But I truly believe that when it comes to three-point shooting, perception is better than reality. Terrence Ross was a 33, 32% three-point shooter, but defenses still respect his three-point shot. And so the Magic have to gain that respect from beyond the arc still. A lot easier said than done, of course, and, and I think that that's an ongoing process for several players on the team. But in the playoffs specifically, it was Evan Fournier's struggles that really, I think, doomed the Magic. I don't mean to pile on one guy, and and I'm not scapegoating Evan Fournier at all, but he would fully admit that last season was a rough one for him because he just couldn't shoot the ball. Or at least shoot the ball at the rate that we're expecting him to shoot. He's been a 36, 37, 38% three-point shooter for most of his time in Orlando. He's He's had a couple seasons where he shot 40%. And the Magic need that kind of production from him because they just don't have guys defenses respect. When I look back at game one specifically, and really throughout the whole series, the Raptors made one big gamble. After D.J. Augustin torched the Raptors for, I believe it was 19 points in the first first half of game one, they switched one of their better defenders, Danny Green, onto him. And Danny Green locked up D.J. Augustin the rest of the game. I should have mentioned D.J. Augustin among those three-point shooters. But Danny Green locked up D.J. Augustine the rest of the series. That put Kyle Lowry on Evan Fournier. And Lowry's a good defender. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, the big bet that the Raptors made was we're going to collapse the paint. We're going to allow the Magic's three-point shooters to shoot threes as long as we stick to Terrence Ross. But they left Evan Fournier open on several occasions. And the biggest gamble the Raptors made, the one thing that would have forced the Raptors to change their defense again, because the Magic forced the first adjustment. Don't, don't ever forget that. That switch on from Danny Green to DJ Augustine was the first big adjustment of this series. If Evan Fournier would have hit two, maybe three of those open three-pointers in a single game, if he would have had his big game where he just hits all his three-pointers, 
I really think that would have changed the series. It would have forced the Raptors to change up their defense, and that would have opened up something for someone else. The Magic desperately need Evan Fournier's spacing. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about Evan Fournier. I'll probably do it on Monday's episode of Locked on Magic because I know I haven't done his player outlook on here. But the Magic desperately, desperately needed Evan Fournier's three-point shooting. And that's going to be the case next year, too. No matter how much Aaron Gordon improves his three-point shooter, no matter how much Nikola Vucevic improves his three-point shooter, no matter how much Jonathan Isaac improves his three-point shooter, Evan Fournier is still the guy that gets the respect of the defense. And especially early in the season, Fournier has to hit three-pointers. Other players do, too. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Magic early in the season. Not only because the schedule sets up, more, at least on paper, more favorably for them, but also because I think if the Magic want to get defense's respect and open up other parts of their game, they got to do it early. They got to set a good first impression. And Fournier is on the top of that list. He has to set that impression too. The Magic desperately need guys, especially in the playoffs, who are going to space the floor with their three-point shooting, who are going to command respect from the defense and make them pay when they're left open. Evan Fournier did not do that in the playoffs. And I think that's a big reason why the Magic struggled throughout the entire series. A long-time issue for the Orlando Magic has been their inability to get to the foul line. While I think a lot of people are focused on the defense and and, and thinking that, you know, are the Magic going to be able to copy their defense? I'm not so worried about the defense. I, I trust Steve Clifford to build a strong defense, and this team has proven that they're a good defensive team. And I think a lot of people, when they talk about the playoffs, tend to talk a little bit more about the defense and the struggles guarding Kawhi Leonard, which everyone struggled to guard Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. The big issue in the playoffs was the Magic's offense. There is no getting around it at this point. The Magic were poor offensively. And one of the problems the Magic had throughout that playoff series was, or throughout offensively in the regular season when they were 22nd or 23rd in the league in offensive rating, was that they just don't get easy points. Magic were on the bottom end of the fast break points. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Bottom end of of transition opportunities and bottom end of free throws. In fact, the Magic took the fewest free throw attempts in the league last year and had the second lowest free throw rate in the league last year. Now, it's important to point out, offensive struggles do not correlate with free throw rate. The Golden State Warriors and Denver Nuggets ranked just ahead of the Orlando Magic in free throw rate. So you can have a successful offense without going to the free throw line. The Boston Celtics last year had the lowest free throw rate in the league. And their offense was iffy at times. But you get the point. You don't need to get to the foul line to have a successful offense. But the Magic's offensive struggles, their lack of a true go-to guy, their lack of a true superstar means that they have to manufacture easy ways to score. So overall, I think a big overhaul in the offense is, like we saw late in the season, picking up the pace a little bit, trying to find more transition opportunities to get easy baskets before the defense gets set. And ultimately, one of the big things they have to do is get to the foul line. Ever since Dwight Howard left, the Magic have ranked in the bottom five of free throw rate every single season, if not bottom three. 
They do not have guys who are good at drawing fouls. We all waited for that light to click on for Victor Oladipo, and he talked about, you know, learning how to draw fouls and you know, whether it was a skill, you know, Nikola Vucevic is more finesse center. He's not, you know, drawing contact or, or looking for seeking contact to get to the foul line. He's, you know, looking to set up fadeaways and 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 baby hooks um, or popping out to the three point line. It's 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 not in his game. So no one's asking this Magic team to get to the foul line, you know, at a at a rate that's near the top of the league. They're looking to get to the foul line just enough to to lift the offense up a little bit more. So what was interesting about the playoffs then, what was interesting about the series against the Raptors, is the Magic actually got to the foul line a decent amount. The regular season, the Magic had a 21.6% free throw rate. That's uh, 21.6 free throws for every 100 field goal attempts, essentially. So, you know, you know they were averaging 19 free throw attempts per game. So, you know, rough, a little bit like that. In the playoffs, though, Orlando got to the line for a 26.7% free throw rate. Again, that's 26.7 free throws for every 100 field goals. That's a pretty solid rate. That's going to get you into at least the middle part of the league, if not near, if not nearing the top 10. And in Game 2 specifically, the Magic shot 16 free throws in the first half. That game turned into a blowout. But in the first half, it was still a relatively tight game. It was within 10, I think, at halftime. And a, and a big reason for that, really the only reason the Magic stayed close in that game, was because of free throw shooting. It was because they were able to get to the line and able to convert on these easy opportunities. Game 4 actually played out much the same way, except Orlando missed their free throws. So, I mean, obviously you got to get there and then you got to make them. It doesn't, matter if, it doesn't matter if you get there if you don't make them. But you could see how, even though the Magic were struggling offensively, getting to the foul line, getting those easy baskets, getting those easy opportunities, still gave them a fighting chance to win the game if they could, again, figure out their half-court offense. This is something the Magic have to do better. They don't have to be up at that rate, I think, but they have to continue to improve and get better at getting to the foul line. Now the question is, why did the Magic get to the foul line so often? And I think a big reason why is because the Raptors... We're playing physical. The Raptors wanted to let the Magic know they were there physically and bump them off their off their paces or off their off their rhythm, and they figured that they could kind of impose their will that way. So they were willing to give up some foul trouble. They were willing to concede maybe in the first half, you know, Kawhi Leonard sitting on two fouls or Siakam sitting on two fouls or you know someone else or Ibaka or Gasol sitting on two fouls. They were willing to concede that because they knew in the long run that would help them, and it did. So is this a viable strategy for Orlando moving forward? Yes and no. They won't see defenses that physical, so they won't see defenses trying to force foul calls like that or allowing foul calls to be called like that in the regular season. But still, Orlando has to have that aggressive mentality to seek out contact and get to the foul line when they can. It has to be something that's added to their game. If they want their offense to improve, that's a big thing that they have to do, and they have to do better. It's absolutely critical for the Orlando Magic. The last thing, you, the, the next thing you want to talk about in improving the offense is, is turnovers and transition. And this was a point that I saw in Game 5. Game 5 was a blowout from the very beginning. Orlando had no chance. 
And a big reason why Orlando kind of had no chance in that game, and really Orlando struggled throughout the series, including in, in, in Game 4, when the Magic lost their big lead at the start of that game, was the Magic turned the ball over more than they usually do. And Toronto, and Steve Clifford warned about this at the beginning of the series, Toronto is very, very good at turning turnovers into transition opportunities. Toronto is very, very good at making you pay for your mistakes. I think I saw Clifford say this, but I will will say this. I thought the Magic, and and watching the tape, you know, I would say for the most part confirm this. I, I won't say the Magic defense was good, but the Magic defense wasn't bad in the half court. Where the Magic got, got themselves into trouble defensively was when they were caught in transition. And I would venture to say, yes. I, I would say this too. When the, uh, defensively, when the Magic were uh, struggling to shoot the ball and hadn't made a shot in a while, their defensive attention to detail slipped. You could see frustration creeping in with their defensive rotations and, and, and the way that they were they were moving. I, I thought there was some a lot of over-contest. There was some poor communication throughout the whole series. It, it wasn't, it was, the defense wasn't the part I was worried about. Um, it wasn't good, but I think the offense had a lot more to do with that than anything else. So game five, the Raptors blow the, blow the magic out. Just completely blow them out of the water. And... And a big reason they did was because with every missed Magic shot, they were running. They were running right back at them and trying to beat the Magic before their defense was set. Orlando just didn't have an answer. And foul trouble to Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic pretty much ended that game by the by the end of the first quarter. Even though Orlando made some runs to make it 15, but that game was was over very very quickly. What's surprising to note is how little the Magic did this to other teams. And so when we talk about getting the Magic offensive opportunities, easy offensive opportunities, getting to the foul line is a big part of it. A bigger part is getting out in transition more. The Magic were able to pick up their pace toward the end of the season when they made their run. That was a huge thing about what they did. But overall, last season, the Magic were a really bad fast-breaking team. They averaged only 10.8 fast break points per game. That's 25th in the league. And forced only 13 turnovers per game. They scored only 15.2 points off turnovers last season. Now, I would say turnovers are not the end-all, be-all. I think, obviously, you want to force turnovers and create turnovers. But Steve Clifford's defense is largely more settled. He wants guys to be solid and in front. He doesn't want want you going for steals or, or, or or pushing yourself out of position. So, the Magic aren't about to go recklessly challenging for steals. But Clifford has said he wants to see the team pick up the pace more. He wants to see the team get out in transition more. And that's absolutely something the Magic should and have to do. With players like Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac and, you know, now even Markel Fultz and, and, you know, Terrence Ross can get out and run, the Magic have to find ways to get these athletes into space and let them do their thing. Mo Bamba is fantastic at running the floor. So I think having him, and Ken Burchill too, so don't get me wrong there. But having him run the floor, I think, will be a vital piece of the puzzle for Orlando. 
the Magic's offense just really struggled throughout this whole series. And, and again, the Magic's offense wasn't particularly good all series, all season. And so a big piece of this puzzle remains, how do you generate easy shots? How do you generate easy scoring opportunities? And so free throws and fast breaks are big ways. And those are lessons that you can see very clearly in this playoff series. The Magic stayed afloat, were able to compete when they were getting to the foul line. The Magic were able to stay, compete, stay afloat when they were able to get out in transition when they, when they, when they could. They, they really didn't that much. And the Raptors were able to bury them when they took the, took the Magic's mistakes and turned them into quick, fast points before the defense could get set. The Magic should have enough faith in their offense or in their defense to get stops. If the Magic's defense is set up in the half court, they should be able to get stops. They should have that faith. I have that faith in them. It's about getting the offense up to that even league average level, as Steve Clifford says. If you're top 10 in in one category and league average in the other, you should be a playoff team. And that's kind of where the Magic are trying to push themselves this year. Before we move on to, I guess, my last two points coming off that season, season, you know, I, I, I need a break. It's, it's a long day at work. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, doing these podcasts takes some time. I mean, 30 minutes, you got to prep a little bit. You know, I don't always have time to, to make myself food. So I treat myself to the meal that I deserve and have my favorite restaurants come to me with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON today. So those are kind of the big picture things. It's obviously the offense, I felt like, was the big issue, whether it's spreading the floor with three-point shooting, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, creating free throws and, and transition opportunities, just finding easy ways to get this offense moving and get this offense scoring. And, and those were the moments when the Magic were able to, to stay afloat. But the big picture items for the Magic still remain. You know, the, the Magic still lacked that kind of go-to guy off the perimeter. Um, you know, I think that that was something that Nikola Vucevic needed in that series to just ease the pressure off him, to get the defense kind of off his back. And so while the Magic, I think typically throughout the season, used Vucevic to establish everyone else early in games when maybe teams weren't weren't focused. In the playoffs, the defense was focused on stopping Vucevic. And someone else needed to step up earlier. Someone else needed to step up throughout the course of the series to, to get him going, to help Vucevic get going. So during the regular season, everyone seemed to be helping Vucevic, or Vucevic seemed to be helping everyone else get going, in this series, everyone needed to help Vucevic get going. And that's something that didn't really happen. There are two players that I thought really stood out and, and, and played very well throughout the whole series. Ken Birch played fantastic. Every time he came in, he was a bundle of energy. He, he really lifted the magic up. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But he's obviously not the kind of impact guy we're really talking about here. The one guy I did think played pretty well throughout the whole series, was Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon averaged a team-high 15 points per game. Uh, but as I think Mike Fratello noted it during Game 5, that 
You know, he averaged 16 points per game during the regular season. He needed to step up. You know, you've got to raise your game to another level in the playoffs. And that point is valid. Everyone needs to raise their game to another level in the playoffs, especially if you're a quote-unquote starring player, if you're a key player on a team. And frankly, Nikola Vucevic certainly didn't do that, dropping from 20 to 12 points per game. And Aaron Gordon kind of stayed level. So a guy who just kind of did what he had done throughout the regular season stood out in this series. Now, I would also argue that Aaron Gordon played some pretty good defense against Kawhi Leonard, but Kawhi Leonard's really, really, really good. And I think Gordon would tell you that that there were some things that he learned defensively from that matchup. But some of the better parts of the Magic series against Toronto, some of the better elements or times that the Magic played in that series came with Aaron Gordon on the ball and on the attack. As he did during the regular season, there were some moments where he took some bad shots. But generally, Aaron Gordon was the guy making tough shots and trying to create something for his teammates, for the team. And game four, to me, was really his breakout game. In game four, in game four, Gordon scored 11 points in the third quarter as part of a 25.7 rebound, five assist game. It was a strong performance from Aaron Gordon in Game 4. And in that third quarter especially, the whole NBA world was talking about Aaron Gordon. And he was on the attack. Attacking off the dribble, getting into his fadeaway, taking tough, making tough shots. And really keeping that team afloat. Now, it didn't help that Kawhi Leonard seemed to have an answer for every Aaron Gordon shot in that stretch, but Gordon was the key to any success in Game 4. And I think some of it, you know, throughout that series, I kept saying to myself, you know, I've been good with Aaron all year. I felt like Aaron was doing doing a good job kind of blending in, not, not asserting himself too much or falling into his bad habits. But by the time, you know, by the time Game 4 came around and by the time that series came to the, to an end, I was like, you know, I wish Aaron had been a little bit more assertive and aggressive. And, you know, it's time, it was time for him to kind of take over. And I think that there was some hesitancy for him to do that because Kawhi Leonard was his primary defender. And I think that's fair. The numbers back that out. Gordon was just six for 20 with four turnovers when Kawhi Leonard was defending him, according to Second Spectrum. But still, I felt like the Magic needed to do a better job creating mismatches for Aaron Gordon which they did on occasion. When he had these scoring spurts, the Magic were able to force switches off-ball screens to get Gordon more favorable matchups. And let Gordon attack a little bit more. If there's a reason why I think Aaron Gordon is due for a leap, it is because, A, A, because of that game, because of Game 4. And and really, you could see him do it at other points throughout the series, not as long as he did in Game 4. But there were several other points where the Magic's offense started to work again because Aaron Gordon was the guy leading that charge. And so, Gordon was vital, remains vital, to the team's ultimate success. And again, I think to their development this year. Because he can be that guy. Now, 
I would agree with this statement too that you have to prove it against the elite and against Kawhi Leonard, he struggled. He wasn't going directly against Leonard when he had all these moments. But look at what he did to Pascal Siakam. Shot 12 for 19 for 30 points against Pascal Siakam in the series, according to Second Spectrum. It's not that he can't beat good defenders. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is the, the elite of the elite. Gordon can have the confidence to score. And as long as he's mature and smart about when he scores and the shots he takes and the opportunities he creates for others, handing him the keys a little bit more, I think is ultimately going to serve this team well. That's why I'm I'm so high on Aaron Gordon. I think that he has figured out that balance. And yeah, he'll give in and take some bad shots here and there. But ultimately, I think Game 4 proved just how vital Aaron Gordon is. Because again, we're talking about the end of the season now. When the Magic get back to the playoffs, how are they going to create good offense? How are they going to rise to the occasion? And I think they need that second guy. That second consistent offensive option. And I think it's got to be Aaron Gordon. I think Gordon has to be that player. The other thing that that came to light throughout the series was the importance of size. The Raptors are one of the few teams, I think, that can match the Magic size in in the starting lineup, at least. Siakam and Isaac often get compared to each other. You know, Leonard's a big guy. Uh, Marcus Gasol is a, cute, is a big center. The, the, the Raptors had the size. Had size. You know, the, Ma- the Magic didn't have a size advantage on the Raptors. Is, is really what it came, came down to. And that size. And in fact, the Magic started to have a size disadvantage the moment they went to their bench. The end of Game Three was the most telling part of the series for me. The end of Game Three saw the Magic go small at the end of games, as they usually do. They usually put Terrence Ross in for Jonathan Isaac. And time and time again, as that game came to a close, and it was a close game, the Raptors dumped the ball to Pascal Siakam, and Siakam dominated Terrence Ross. Anytime Jonathan Isaac was in foul trouble and had to leave the game, or or Isaac had to be taken off Siakam, Siakam feasted on Orlando's smaller players. It's not to say Jonathan Isaac was necessarily good. Uh, Siakam ended up scoring 7.8 points per game, shooting 54.2% effective field goal percentage with Isaac defending him, according to Second Spectrum. 39 points on 171 possessions, so 22.8 points per 100 possessions for Siakam against Jonathan Isaac. Against everyone else, 14.6 points per game a 60.2% effective field goal percentage, 75 points on 199 possessions, so 37.7 points per 100 possessions. It looks worse when you take Aaron Gordon's numbers out because Aaron Gordon was pretty good against Siakam as well. 5 for 11 on 49 possessions against Gordon. Siakam feasted when the Magic put smaller players on him. And that was anytime Isaac came out of the game. The Magic needed Isaac and Gordon on the floor together whenever Siakam and Leonard were on the floor together. Or the Raptors were going to dominate that part of the game. The Magic value, length, and versatility. And this is exactly why. Because they could switch either Gordon or Isaac onto Siakam and Leonard. And I think they'd feel pretty confident in doing so. 
doing that with Ross against this matchup, not going to work. So I think that is why the Magic targeted Al Farouk Aminu in free agency. I think that's ultimately why the team chose to go in that direction. Because the Magic want to be able to play big no matter what lineup is out there. The Magic want to have a three-man rotation of versatile forwards who can defend any position at all times. The Magic can have Gordon and Isaac start. Gordon can come back, come out and Aminu's in there. And Aminu and Isaac can do virtually the same thing. The Magic don't have to change their defense or how they play because they have three guys who essentially all do the same thing. You can question the offensive fit. You can question a lot of other things. But from that perspective, that move makes a ton of sense. It is a direct result of a bad playoff matchup. Signing Aminu is a direct result of Siakam torching Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier all series long. And the Magic understanding that if we're going to make the playoffs and we face a team like that again, or even if we don't face a team like that again, we want the size advantage. We want the advantage of length. The Magic, with how they've drafted, absolutely never want to be at a length disadvantage ever again. Period. Full stop. And so I think that's what's at the core of the Aminu signing, was that specific instance. The Magic want to be bigger and longer and better and stronger than every other team in the league. And so that's why they made the Aminu move. That's why they made the move that they did. And I can't blame them. I mean, I think the goal is to have your bench players play the same as your starters. And Aminu is now a high-level bench player. I mean, the Magic, I think, have two high-level bench players in Aminu and Ross. And you could argue maybe Marco Fultz and, and maybe Mobamba. You know, two at least two high-level rookies coming off their bench as well. So the Magic did respond to the playoff loss. They did change things to make themselves better and to prepare themselves for the playoffs next year. But as I said, all those changes still come down to the offense. The offense has to be better. The offense has to space the floor better, has to find easy points better, have to find a way to create offense and create scoring opportunities when the defense is really good. And that's what the playoffs are about. Ultimately, the biggest questions we have about this Magic team aren't going to be answered in 82 games. We hope that there will be an 83rd game. Because that 83rd game is going to be the game that all these all the real questions about this team get answered. But the Magic got to get there first. Certainly feels like they have the team capable of doing so. Certainly seems like they've learned some lessons from this playoff series. And now it's about putting all those lessons together, getting past the 82, and whatever record you get, and making that 83rd game count once again. 
I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, the Google Play app, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me on Twitter at R underscore OD. And of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at omagicdaily. I'll be down at Media Day on Monday. We'll have a podcast, of course, on Monday uh, for Monday morning. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the players on the team, some of the storylines entering Media Day. So we'll talk a lot about that. And then, of course, Tuesday we'll have a full Media Day recap uh, for you here on the podcast. So this, if you aren't subscribed now, now is the time to subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe to Locked on Magic. But until then, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman-Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day.